This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Fed Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Welcome to the show. The IRS has had a Senate-confirmed commissioner for a few weeks now. Danny Werfel has a lot to do. He'll need every employee in the agency to get anything significant done. One crucial group sometimes doesn't get the respect it should, namely the ranks of IRS middle managers. For what that very group hopes for from the new commissioner, I spoke with the president of the IRS-based Federal Managers Association, Chad Hooper. Hooper said to be successful, Werfel must be a partner to the workforce to lead us as an agency through the modernization and reform initiatives that are ahead of us. A future IRS commissioner has to communicate with frontline employees, managers, and supervisors at all levels of the agency. The transformation isn't going to be successful if it happens from the top, but it's also not going to be successful if it happens from the bottom. So we feel very passionately that frontline managers must be included in that conversation because they're aware uniquely of what their teams need and what barriers to success exist. And so it will prevent the agency in this time of rapid transformation after so many um, decades of inertia, prevent us from reinventing a wheel or proposing reforms with no practical chance of proper implementation. Um, And we want that next commissioner to understand the value of and commit to working closely with frontline IRS management associations, particularly like the one that I lead here at PMA, where we already have a formal consultative agreement with the service that's centered on enhancing agency operations. Because there is some evidence coming out that because of the money they got under the infrastructure bill, this $80 billion, a lot of it has initially been used to just get out of the emergency they've been having in customer experience, answering the phones and so forth, but at the cost of some of the long-term modernization efforts that were ongoing, such as the software that controls the master file system, which is really the link pin to all of the other modernization they want to do, that's been put on hold or pushed back for the umpteenth time. What are you hearing? So for from our perspective, you know, we we knew that there would be an immediate need for the agency to make investments right away to turn around. It's this backlog that I know publicly they've been attributing to the pandemic. We feel it's more appropriate to attribute it to the 2018-2019 government shutdown that then was exacerbated by the pandemic. But that's neither here nor there. The good news is that we seem to be on top of it now. That immediate demonstration of ability is necessary politically, unfortunately. If we got all of this, you know, $80 billion, and then in the immediate aftermath of the very next tax season also showed, um, right, like we were slow to react or slow to dig out, there was a very real risk that a new Congress would take that money away and say we weren't implementing it properly. So those priorities are kind of set by the political winds. And, and that isn't me minimizing, of course, the very real need of us to provide adequate service during the filing season. I'm thrilled to to know that we're able to answer more than 90% of the calls and, and respond to people's inquiries and, and process their tax returns. Like That's a phenomenal improvement. But as you mentioned, the elephant in the room is getting ourselves off of the 65-year-old computer system. And that is the real work ahead 
Um, but right now, for me, uh, I think that kind of prioritization does require a confirmed commissioner um, going into this kind of a filing season and these and and thinking of these kinds of changes is like going into the playoffs without a coach. And I don't think like any pro team would recommend that. You know, so we have our committed employees at the IRS, like working to execute their responsibilities to have a filing season. Those are the things they know how to do very well. But without like real leadership at the top to make and support management decisions, um, to instill a productive org culture and to manage these critical modernization efforts. I just I don't know, like one example I had um, that I felt like where this was already evident was how the agency missed its own deadline to produce a plan of how it was going to over the next 10 years um, use the $80 billion appropriation. We were really disappointed to see the agency miss that deadline, but that deadline did fall in between, you know, Reddick's term limit and the appointment of a new commissioner. And in some ways I wasn't surprised, disappointed, but not surprised um, that the agency would miss that. We're speaking with Chad Hooper. He's president of the Professional Managers Association. What should the first thing Danny Werfel does be, do you think? I believe that the first thing that Commissioner Werfel would need to focus on is meeting with us and our, uh, we have a sister group at uh, the Federal Managers Association that advocates as well to understand the lay of the land. We also want to be sure that Commissioner Werfel is unique in having prior experience. We don't often get a commissioner who was an acting commissioner in the past. And there are some things that have changed in the last 13 years since Danny was here last. However, at the IRS, there's also a lot of things that say the same. And we want to be sure that we have an opportunity to uh, read Commissioner Werfel in on those on those issues and on those intractable problems, um, because we are not currently confident that the senior executive team necessarily has an unvarnished view of what's going on under the hood. And we want that we want the current future commissioner to have a full awareness of what they're facing while trying to implement a major transformation so that they can have a clear view of roadblocks and possible issues in the next five years. And what might some of the roadblocks be to the reforms needed, do you think? I mean, you've got a lot of oh. unionized employees, but they say the right things about wanting to move the agency forward and be a high-performing 21st century tax organization. So what's buried there under the seemingly calm sure. waters right now? And we agree with um, with our and union partner NTEU that there is an appetite for that. And we do believe that having that modernization would improve the employee experience. What we're not seeing is a skilled executive and management cadre that we think can lead a workforce of tomorrow. And we are also concerned that with a huge influx of new hires currently, right, as we're trying to rebuild some of what we've lost over the last 10 or 15 or 20 years, but then also the IRS workforce is older than the rest of the civil service. Um, And during Commissioner Werfel's term, should he be confirmed, we'll see a great amount of generational turnover at the Internal Revenue Service. The IRS culture internally is not prepared to onboard a lot of new talent. It's been a very long time since we've seen a lot of fresh faces. 
there's a lot of tension um, among the workforce when they see someone new come in at a higher grade, because you have to remember for 30 or 40 years, the only new faces you usually see are at the entry level. So seeing someone walk into a grade 13, a grade 14 job, that was always usually like an internal hire. Mm -hmm. And the IRS doesn't have a great way right now to onboard folks into those roles. They don't have a great way to train folks and to keep their like continuing education skills up. And we don't believe, I know that that's like very wonky, but we want to be sure that the managers have the tools and the resources that they need in order to lead. And sometimes we don't think that the current leadership, um, particularly in just in the senior executive service, like hears that um, or really appreciates fully the risk to the agency that they're that they're that's on the horizon, I guess I should say. So ultimately, all of their issues revolve around human capital at some level. I would say that the biggest issues are in human capital right now. And just finally, you know, the new commissioner will have a five-year term, and yet there's a ten-year modernization and transformation plan. So, what should that plan look like, and what transformations should happen in the next five and ten years? Looking, taking I'm- a long-term view here. I'm really fortunate to not be the person who has to conceive of that myself. And I feel for the next commissioner because the hard work of developing a 10-year modernization plan for the world's most complex and efficient tax collection mechanism in, in humanity's history is quite an undertaking. And then when you think about the IRS commissioner's term, right, being limited to five years then you have to leave when it's only half-baked. So Commissioner Werfel will only get to see half of that take place and, and build the mechanisms to see it through to the end. Not only would does that funding, the $80 billion, transform taxpayer service, and you can see that dividend being paid, as we mentioned earlier, we also think that there's space for, in this plan, our government taking a more active role in improving tax administration and increasing equity in the tax system. You may have saw in January, Stanford and the Treasury Department together put out a study further implying that the overselection of Black taxpayers in our audit system, PMA has spoken out about this and our former commissioner didn't really agree with that. Now we have additional data that suggests that there's more the IRS can do there. Um, And I think that that would be an important thing for a future commissioner to focus on in these five years. I also believe that ensuring that the $80 billion, that there are structures and accountability structures and procurement to be sure that the that that money is spent properly that we've we've struggled historically in IRS procurement spaces and i know again that that's like a little bit wonky but we want to be sure that we're contracting those dollars out in a way that is efficient and spent well and for me that means trying to find ways to implement commercial off the shelf software solutions where we currently have handmade or hand grown databases that makes it very complicated for the IRS to recruit a workforce externally. Right now, what the IRS does is it's sort of trapped, right? Their union contract requires them to bargain whenever there's new technologies that are brought into the workplace. And so that causes management when they want to upgrade a system to then request that system be custom built to look as much like the old one as possible. When we do that, it means that you, there's a benefit to grow, quote unquote, growing up in the IRS, right? You have to like understand what it was like on paper to understand why it looks like this in the computer, to understand why the second computer looks like the old computer system. 
And it means that you can't just hire like an HR person from another company because we don't use some HR system sure. that you can just buy. You can't use a ticketing system to file facilities requests because we don't use one that you can just buy. Even the way that we record our phone calls for quality purposes, we use an off-the-shelf system and then we have to do all this stuff on the back end to make it our own. We hamper our own ability to recruit a workforce and then we have to make all of this custom training um, and we don't have the capacity to do that. We need to think about how procurement ties into efficiency and how that hampers or helps our ability to recruit and retain a workforce. That's a big amount of thinking. And I'm confident that someone who has expertise in public service management consulting can think in three dimensions that way. Um, and in that way, we are excited to work with the Commissioner Werfel. That's my one big take home. Chad Hooper is president of the Federal Managers Association. We've posted the interview at federalnewsnetwork.com. We'll take a short break, and when we return, some advice for what to do in the unlikely event your agency undergoes a reduction in force. You're listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. Welcome back to FedLife here on Federal News Network. It doesn't happen all that often and may seem highly unlikely now, but federal agency reductions in force are not unheard of. In such a situation, you've got rights, as we hear from Tully Rinky managing partner, attorney Michael Fallings. My first question was why a reduction in force could even happen in the first place. Typically, it's reorganizations that result in job eliminations or shortages of funds from a particular organization that would cause a reduction in force. And have you seen that occur much in recent years? Yes, typically through the reorganizations that federal agencies will do when they're looking to combine positions, consolidate different organizations, they'll reduce their force and look to just have a particular person in a position. And what is the proper process by which they decide who gets the boot and who gets to stay? There are federal regulations that control the reduction of force procedures. There's factors that the agencies have to consider. It relies upon veterans' preference, whether a particular employee has veterans' preference, but also the employee's tenure um, of the employment, their type of appointment, their length of service, and their performance ratings are also factors that a federal agency will have to consider in a reduction of force. Right. So the agency manager making the decision then has got a lot of things to balance. Someone could have been there as a veteran for 15 years, but if they're a terrible performer, can that person go ahead of someone who's been there two years, but as a stellar performer doing similar work? Well, I mean, the agency managers aren't the only ones. They'll be working with the agency's labor relations departments as well. And in each situation depends as well as who would be potentially separated, who would be reassigned, you know, as far as whether somebody's performing better than the other. It also, yeah, like I said, depends on the veteran's preference of the employee, the length of the service. Um, so each situation would depend. Well, does bargaining unit representatives, unions have a say in it? Yeah, there are employees that are represented by unions through the collective bargaining agreement that they would have a right to petition or, or file grievances regarding what occurs for that employee. All right. So what is the best way for agency managers to go about the decision? There's a lot of variables. There might be a union contract in there. There could be a clause that covers reductions in force, I imagine, too, because these are long contracts. So what are some specific ways to begin the process? 
Because it sounds like you could get hit for a wrongful dismissal process no matter what you do. Yes, I mean, it is a difficult situation for any employee to go through a reduction of force being laid off. So managers need to understand that, but they also need to be sure they're treating everyone equally because that's sort of common complaints that people may have is that they're not being treated equally or fairly. And that's going with following the procedures that are set forth in the regulations, considering those factors and, and relying upon their legal representatives for the agencies and also just the labor relations department to ensure that you're implementing equal treatment across the board. And what are some of the important elements of that process as it's outlined? And this is in the statute? Yes, and that goes back to the factors I mentioned as far as the type of appointment, the performance of the employees, how long they've worked there. Typically, like I've said, that this occurs when there's a reorganization or cost-cutting measure. So there is not just the manager that's making the decision, there's other people that are involved in determining what costs to cut. So those are factors in making sure you're applying equal treatment to the jobs you are cutting and you're consolidating are things that need to be considered when you're implementing this reduction in force. We're speaking with Michael Fallings. He's managing partner at the law firm Tully Rinke, which has a long experience representing federal employees in these kinds of matters. What about buyouts? Because once in a while, an agency will offer a buyout in lieu of forcing people out or people can take early retirement. When do you go to that particular option? Severance or payment of employees does occur for separating, but the employee does have to be, for federal government purposes, has to be with the federal government for at least 12 months. But you know that is an option that the employee could take advantage of. However, they also have to consider any reassignment or jobs that have been offered, and they can't decline particular assignments that are in their community area or that they're eligible for to be eligible for severance payments. But that does occur, and an employee, as long as they meet those requirements, are eligible for the payments you know that a government may offer. But is there a difference between a severance payment and a generally offered buyout program that people volunteer for? I would say it's about the same. I mean, a government agency is offering to pay money to an employee for separating, you know, and the government agencies, there's procedures to do that. I believe it's about the same as far as a government agency agreeing to pay money to an employee or a buyout, as you're calling it, for an employee to separate. Well, a buyout, I think of as something offered generally, and the first 100 people that decide they are willing to leave can get the $25,000, usually is what it is, and off they go and they can get their annuity, whereas a severance might be issued singly to selected individuals that have no choice departing. Do you think that's a fair distinction? Well, I don't think so, because I think people do have a choice, even with the severance option. Um, As far as the retirement aspect, people have to be eligible for retirement. And so if they are eligible for retirement, people do get a choice to going through a procedure to take advantage of the retirement option and retire in that fashion. All right. So what are the employee's rights in such a case when there's a reduction in force coming because of, say, a reorg or the agency's budget was cut and Congress says you've got this many fewer billets? Well, they're still eligible to file complaints through the different offices that a federal employee may have, you know, an EEO office, uh, uh, Office of Inspector General's office. Um, If they believe that, you know, the action is not being taken fairly or taken in retaliation, of course, they're not in agreement with that. Their job is being taken um, or being reduced. So those options are still available to the employees. Um, as well as, as we mentioned, you know, contacting their union representative and filing grievances if they believe the procedures aren't being conducted fairly or, or appropriately in line with the policies. 
And if someone is designated to go and they get the severance or they're offered the severance and your last day is Friday, see you later, and they decide to file a grievance, do they get to stay at the agency during the course of the grievance or do they have to just be off-premises? Typically, no. They do not get to stay at the agency. You would be able to file a grievance and that doesn't prolong your employment. I say typically because there may be a chance to negotiate with an agency. You know, if you file a grievance, the agency may be willing to discuss an alternative other than a severance, maybe a reassignment. But typically, if there's an effective date for their separation, and that's when it will occur, then you could file a grievance within a certain period of time or even in beforehand. But you would still be separated on that date. It sounds like agencies that are contemplating this requirement to have a reduction in force for whatever reason really need to think about who's the reduced way in advance of this actually happening. It seems like they would have to have a game plan that is getting them to the levels they're entitled to in terms of number of positions, but also that the decisions can be supported should they be challenged. Yes, and I think that takes more than days or even weeks. It takes months of decision-making and planning, you know, especially when you're dealing with supervisory positions, perhaps, when you're trying to consolidate supervisors and you're eliminating supervisory positions, even when you're just demoting people. You know, people going through these situations are going to be understandably upset, and that's going to cause them to contact a legal representative or just look through different legal avenues to ways to challenge the action. So agencies do have to be prepared and have discussions through their managers, their different departments, and have a plan set forth so they can defend the action that they're taking. Is it okay for an agency management to say, look, in a year, we're going to have a riff, or in six months, we know we're going to have to let a certain number of people go. You may start looking now for another position somewhere else in the government. We don't know who's going to be laid off, but if you're worried, now's the time to be looking around. Is that a kind of a kosher way to ask people to, to think about it? Well, typically the notices, I think, required. However, the notice is specific to particular people. I've seen in my experience that, okay, a RIF is going to occur. Your position will be affected, effective in about a month or, or two months or whatever the date is. These are the procedures you could take advantage of to get reemployed or be reassigned. As far as a general, hey, we're going to eliminate this office. I don't advise an agency to do that because that will obviously cause, you know, scare and nervousness and may lead to certain employees leaving, even though they may not be affected. Usually it's a specific notice to specific employees or a specific office. Right. So if a particular program is going to be canceled and that involves 22 people that are working on that program, it's no longer funded. It sounds like the agency can make a cut and dry decision. The program's gone, so the people connected to it are gone. It's never quite that clean and cut and simple, is it? It's never that, <laughs> that clean and cut. But the agency can provide notice to those affected employees and you know offer them the severance or offer them a chance to apply elsewhere and give them consideration and applying elsewhere or reassigning them to a different office. All right. Anything else we need to know? Do you anticipate this happening anytime in the near future anywhere? I don't anticipate it specifically happening, but, you know, in today's day and age, you, you never know. Um, I think, like we talked about, specific organizations make different changes and different reorgs, and that happens frequently. Um, I think employees should always be aware of their rights, like we talked about, that they still have rights to contact their union to file a grievance, or even through an administrative grievance process, or even filing through an EEO or Office Inspector General's office if they believe discrimination or retaliation is at play. Attorney Michael Fallings, managing partner of Tully Rinky. 
That's it for this week's Fed Life. Keep those suggestions coming in for what you'd like us to talk about. Until next week, I'm Tom Temin. Thanks for listening to Fed Life here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search Fed Life.